Hey, welcome to Church Online this morning, Summit Church. We're so glad that you're a part of this worship experience. And man, God is just going to minister to us. We're continuing our message series, Celebrate Jesus is Coming. And this is the fifth installment in that message series. And we've got uh, this weekend and one more. And then this series is over and we're going to start a new series. And then we'll be getting into our We'll have a, a one a kind of a one message, standalone message at the end of November, and then we're going to get into Christmas at the movies, and you don't want to miss that. Now, I'll just have to share something with you because Christmas at the movies has uh, copyright content in it and things like that. We cannot do that online. So in our online church, we're going to be uh, playing some of our landmark messages. Uh, and if you want to be a part of Christmas at the movies, unfortunately, you'll have to come to uh, the campus and be a part. And listen, it is an amazing, uh, it is an amazing time to be a part and so much fun and so many exciting things and people give their life to the Lord. It's going to be a great month. If you can't be here on this, uh, on our campus here in Canyon, then there are going to be some great messages that you're going to get to hear and I know that will bless you and minister to you. So thank you so much uh, for being a part of Summit Church and, and our online campus. And we're so glad that God is ministering to you. And we're so glad you're a part of our family. So uh, today I wanted to just, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up as it pertains to the letters written to the churches. And we're going to go through all three of these last churches. And uh, I, I'm going to try to streamline it in a way that we can look at what Jesus said to John for the churches and how he commended them and how he corrected them. So we're not probably going to go into as much detail on each church like we have been, but uh, we're going to really get in depth on how it relates to us. And so uh, I want to talk to you today around the subject commended and corrected, commended and corrected. Uh, let's look at our text, Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 through 29, reading from the NIV. And you can read with me right there at home. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you, God, to teach us. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us into all truth. And so, God, we just ask you to lead us into truth today. Help us, Heavenly Father, to hear your word. Your, your word repeatedly in Revelation gives us that promise. He that has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if we will open and be open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears spiritually and be sensitive to your word, we know that you'll speak to us today. Not just through your word, but using your word to transform our lives. And so we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory. We just ask you to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I said, today we're going to wrap up the letters to the last three churches. And there are some nuances to these letters to the churches, but a lot of it is similar to the, to the church before and after it. So we're going to take out those things that are the nuances, the things that may not be redundant. And then we're trying not to be super redundant, but we're going to cover all of these churches 
today, these last three, and there are some very important things we need to learn from these. Let's remember that what's happening here is John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been consigned there by uh, the Romans. He's been punished for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is uh, on a penal colony, which is basically an island for prisoners. And in the midst of that, he sees the Lord. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and God begins to speak to him and give them this unbelievable revelation. In the first chapter, Jesus shows himself to John, and he sees these unbelievable, this unbelievable image of Jesus, and you know, the, having proceeding from his mouth a sharp two-edged sword, eyes of fire, white, uh, flaming, uh, or excuse me, a head white like wool. His hair is white like wool. Just this unbelievable glorified, transfigured Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, so much so that John falls on his face before God and just basically passes out. He faints, if you will, and just begins to worship the Lord. He doesn't feel worthy to even stand in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. Get up. I want to show you some things. And he told John, he wanted him to speak of the things that he was seeing and then also what things were happening at the time. And then... He wanted to, him to declare things that were coming in the future. And so what you find is the things he was seeing is just chapter 1. The things that were happening at that point was chapter 2 and 3. The Spirit was giving him a message to the churches, the seven churches that God chose to give the, send these letters to. And then from chapter 4 on to the end of Revelation is everything that's coming in the future. Now what we're going to do next week is we're going to talk about that timeline. We're going to talk about what's coming next. The next you know, as we, as you, if you go listen to the beginning of the series, you'll find that the next prophetic, uh, major prophetic thing to happen uh, in the world is the rapture of the church. I truly believe that. And then after that, the great tribulation will come. The Antichrist will come on the scene. The great tribulation will happen. The, 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 uh, the, the Antichrist will put his idol up in um, the temple and... And then everything's going to shift. There will be judgment on the earth, the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven years. And then we'll enter into the millennial reign. There'll be a, the battle of Armageddon to, to, to start that off. And then uh, after all of that happens and judgment happens, heaven and earth will meet and God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be an unbelievable thing for eternity. And so we're going to talk about that next week. So we're going to finish this this week. So. I want to just take a perusal of these churches and summarize kind of God's commendations to them as well as his corrections to them. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, uh, the son he delights in. Now, I think sometimes we have gotten in this habit of misinterpreting the grace and mercy and peace and love of Jesus. and have somehow took that to mean that God never corrects us, God never challenges us, God never does anything that we would perceive as being negative or uncomfortable. And that's really not true. And it's not true of any good father. A good father who loves his children will correct them, even if it's uncomfortable for them, even if it is painful, even if it's disciplinarian, of good father, if he loves his children and he wants their life to turn out well, will discipline them, will correct them. 
so that they hit the mark with their life, that they fulfill purpose, that they become everything they could be, that their potential is realized. That's what a good father does. A good father wants their children to have a good life. And a good life is based on good choices. And good choices are developed through trying things, failing, and being corrected. And so when a father corrects a child, that father is not correcting that child because he hates them or because he's mad at them or angry. But he corrects them in the sense that he loves them and he wants their life to be the best it can be. And therefore, he tries to guide their life in the direction that he knows will reap the kind of blessings that he wants to happen in their life. That's what this is all about. And that's how our Heavenly Father is for us. I'm so thankful for the correction of God in my life. I'm so thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, hey, Hey, bud, you are a child of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Don't go down that road. Don't give in to that temptation. Don't fall prey to that mentality or that attitude or that sinfulness. Follow me and follow my word, and he'll correct me and straighten me out and line me up. And, and, and if you think about that term correction, think of it in, in aeronautical terms. You know, when, when a, a plane is just a few degrees off of its mark, in the ultimate, when it gets to, uh, when it has flown as long as what its destination would take it, if it's degree, just even a few degrees off, it will end up far away from where it was supposed to land. And, and, and so what do they have to do? I remember when I was in Africa one time and we were taking a little 12-seater uh, plane and we had to land in a pasture, and, and the wind was really blowing. And I noticed the guy that was a pilot, he let me sit, sit in the co-pilot seat. And as we were flying along, I could feel the plane moving based on the wind. But I noticed, even though he had it on autopilot for most of the trip, he would just, he would just reach up every once in a while and just click this one little thing, this one little deal. I didn't know what it was. And I said, hey, l- let me ask you, what is that? And he said, well, I'm just making sure that we stay uh on target. I'm correcting our direction so that we don't end off uh, in, a, in the wrong place or end up in the wrong place. That's what a good father's doing with their children. That's what God does with us. He can see when our life is veering into a place it shouldn't go, and he knows that if we continue on that trajectory very long, we're going to end up way off the mark. And so what he does is he comes into our life with his Holy Spirit and his conviction and his direction and his word, and he convicts us and he corrects us and he just puts us back in line. And sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes it hurts and sometimes it don't feel good, but it's what we need and it's what's best for us and that's why God is a good father. So I want to talk to you first about the church at Thyatira. Let's read the scripture really quick. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In other words, he's been tried and he's not happy. (laughs) That's basically what it's saying. His eyes are like a blazing fire. Have you ever looked into someone's eyes where they were blazing? He's not okay with how things are. And, and he is a person, the, the, the burnished bronze of his feet represent that he's gone through the fire. He's been through the trials. And here's what he says, I know your deeds. And first he commends them. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. There that, there it is again. It keeps coming up throughout this entire 
a series, that, that idea of, of forces and influences trying to, to take God's people in the wrong direction by causing them to accept immorality, especially in the area of sexual immorality. And, and then eating food sacrificed to idols. In other words, giving into false doctrine, false religion. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, let's just go back make sure that's clear. What God is saying is the fruit that comes from the relationships that she has that are idolatrous and adulterous in terms of with God's people leading them astray, the fruit of that I will destroy. So everyone will know I'm not going to put up with this. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her, excuse me, hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Now, isn't it interesting that he says Satan's so-called deep secrets? Isn't it one? Isn't it interesting how the world and the devil and spiritual enemies of God always seem to have something more. They have a greater revelation or more you could get. And it's always something that moves you away from your relationship with God, but it seems spiritual. God is really calling this out here that these people in churches who call themselves spiritual but are leading people in a wrong direction, especially a sinful direction, are absolutely out of line and need to be corrected. And if they, if they refuse to be corrected, God will deal with them personally. Uh, he goes on to say, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one, rule, uh, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority. In other words, he's saying if you overcome, when the time comes, you're going to get to rule nations. You're going to get to be responsible for great uh, authority as you surrender yourself to the Lord. So I want you to notice also that he says to the one that's victorious, and he talks to the church that doesn't give in to Jezebel and her ways. And you remember Jezebel in the Old Testament. It's, it's making an inference that there was a woman in this New Testament church who called herself a prophet, but she operated and functioned like Jezebel of old. And so it's an interesting thing. And listen, it's happening all over the place in the world today. A lot of people talk about it and preach it. It's called it the, the Jezebel spirit. And it's this per, person or people who get into the church and they use spiritual language and spiritual ideas to manipulate and to maneuver to get their own way or to achieve what they want. And really, these are people that are being used by the enemy to, to lead people astray. It's a real thing. It's a real issue. People experience it everywhere, and we just need to be very discerning. In this world we live, in this time we live, we need to pray that God will give us a gift of discernment so that we know the source uh, from which things are coming. If someone's bringing something to us, even though they might seem super spiritual, we need to understand sometimes you got to try the spirits and know that they're from God and not just acting on their own emotion or acting on some assignment from the enemy. It's a real issue. Now, we don't fight against people, though. We fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we don't attack people. 
but we attack those spiritual entities that may be driving people and we take authority over that in our own lives and we operate and function based on the word of God, not on some supposed revelation that somebody has that's not lined up with the word. Come on, somebody. So here's what he commended them for, the church at Thyatira. He commended them, number one, for their charity, their love. They loved God, they loved each other, and they were compassionate and caring people. You know, I want us to be that way. Every one of us as believers, we really want to reach the world. This is the mentality we need to have. It's so funny to me how we think that we're going to reach somebody by being ugly to them. (laughs) It makes no sense. Jesus never operated that way. When Jesus was tough and strong and abrasive, it was always with people who were going down a religious road that was hampering and hindering other people to find the way to truth. That's when he would get aggressive that way. But when he was dealing with people who were sinners and didn't have a religious background or agenda, he was always compassionate and loving and graceful. He was never passive and he was never without truth, but he was always loving and compassionate and caring. And so he says to the church at Thyatira, listen, you are so loving and you're so caring and you're so compassionate. And I commend you for that. This is good. And then he went on to commend them for their service. In other words, their ministry, their love in action, ministry to the needy. It was born out of loving kindness. The epitome of diakonian is the, is the word in the Greek, which is where we get the word deacon, which the word deacon simply means table waiter. It means to serve. And, and so it's this idea that we're not in this for position. We're not in this to say, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in a rulership role or I'm in this role. Or I, no, I'm a, I'm a deacon. I'm a person who is serving. Everybody on our serve team here at Summit Church, you may not realize it. We don't call you this. But in the spirit of the Greek language and in the, in the spirit of the Word of God in the New Testament, you are a deacon. And we don't necessarily make that formal or say that, but anybody who's serving in the church, that's it's this word diakonian. And it means to it means to serve. It means to be a waiter. It means to help people out of a heart filled with love for God and love for them. He went on to commend them for their faith. It's this word in the Greek, pistos, which means faithfulness, reliable, dependable. He wasn't just saying you have good faith, you believe, and you believe me. He was saying you're faithful. In other words, you, are, you stand your ground. In other words, you, you're committed. You're always there. You're always available. You're always ready. And he gives them a commendation for this. And then another thing he commends them for is their patience. Uh, this is related directly to waiting on God in the midst of persecution. That's This word for patience here means to wait on God in the middle of your storm. And you know, sometimes we think of waiting on God as just we sit there and we just wait to see what God's going to do, but that's really not what waiting on God in the middle of your storm. It denotes perseverance. It, it denotes um, a, a commitment to preparedness so that when God does move in your life, you're ready for it. You're ready to see the miraculous. You're ready to move forward. You're ready to do what God's called you to do. So you're patient in waiting on the move of God, but you are totally prepared so that when he does move, you can go forward with him. He also commended them for their continual progress and spiritual development. He said, your last is better than your first. Your end is better than your beginning. In other words, he's saying, you started here and now you're here. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad. 
I mean, wouldn't you love for God to come to this pulpit today instead of David Gadbury and, 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 and he just say, hey, listen, I want I want Jesus just stand up here and just say, hey, I just want to say, man, thank you for being so faithful. I just love it that you were faithful and that you're committed and, and that you're so charitable and giving and compassionate. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear Jesus himself say that? Well, that's exactly what's happening right now. I'm not Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is taking Jesus' words, and not only was he speaking it to the church at Thyatira, but if you're a person who's faithful and committed, if you're a person who is charitable and giving, if you're a person who has a servant's heart and wants to help other people, and you love God and love people, he's saying to you today, you need to hear it. I think there's somebody on this online campus today that needs to hear that. God is saying to you, man, you doing good. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you and the kind of Christian that you are. But because God is a loving father, he doesn't just commend. He doesn't just say, hey, this is what you're getting right. But he has to come behind that and say, but there are some things that that you're not getting right. We need to work on it. We need to get better. You know, some of us could learn from this in terms of leadership, in our homes, in our families, in our jobs in our careers with our employees or our employers with people we work with with our entrepreneurial efforts in education or at school sometimes we confront people or we have to deal with issues that come up and we miss the point of how God does things and we just become immediately critical and mean-spirited and this is what you're doing wrong and you need to change and and we become this person that's really not helpful and doesn't bring a, a good result But look what God did. In every one of these letters, first, he said, man, this is what I love about you. Man, you're really getting this right. I really appreciate that that you're this kind of person. And then he would say, but you know what? I do have a couple of things that I need to talk to you about that are serious. And we could really use that kind of a mentality in our heart because we need to assume the best first. You know, we need to assume that people aren't trying to be bad or trying to get it wrong or trying to fail. But it does happen. And so if we assume that instead of assuming the worst, then what happens is we can approach them with more of a positive way like God did with the churches here. It's important that if we love people, we approach them with a loving and a compassionate and a grace-filled heart. But that at the same time, we love them enough to not stop with the niceties because God didn't call us to be nice. God called us to be truthful. God didn't call us to be nicey-nice, he, or, or uh, he called us to be powerful and bold. See, compassion, listen to me, compassion isn't just having pity. Pity, a lot of times, doesn't even help anyone. But compassion always challenges a change because compassion is always partnered with love. And love cares about someone enough to say, hey, listen, I really, man, I need to, I need to talk to you about this. This is not good. This is not right. You need to change this. Let me help you change this. I want to work with you to make this better. Love doesn't just say, I feel sorry for you that this has happened to you, or I feel sorry that you failed, or I feel sorry that your life has gone this way, or maybe you're victimized. No, but compassion says, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to help you walk to a new way. I'm going to I'm going to get I'm going to make a commitment to be with you to say, "You know what? This has been generationally what happens in your family, but it's going to stop with you because I'm not going to just pity you. I'm going to have compassion on you and challenge a change in your life." Because this is what God does. This is what the Father does. He corrected them for their tolerance of Jezebel. 
Now, I want to talk again quickly about who's Jezebel. We know who she was as King Ahab's wife, and she was a, oh, she was a piece of work. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, there ain't no other way to describe it. This woman hated God. She hated Elijah. You know, Elijah, the prophet that he went down and he challenged all the prophets of Baal and he called fire out of heaven. This same prophet, he was so scared of her that he ran from the capital city and he was, and he was afraid. And he just started praying and say, God, just kill me and take me home. He was so afraid of Jezebel because she had it out for him. Jezebel was a, a person who had was ate up with false religion and false ideology, and she was a manipulator and a controller. She was just a person who was just evil and wicked. That's just there's no way else to put it. And he's saying to them, I believe in this New Testament church that Tyre is saying, there's a prophetess, a woman calling herself a prophetess, that is has the same spirit as Jezebel of old. And she's using uh, spiritual language and spiritual ideology and spiritual verbiage to get you to follow her, but she's leading you down a path to destruction. She's a counterfeit prophetess. Can I just say in this world where we believe in the manifestation of gifts of the Holy Spirit, we believe in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we believe that God gives us gifts that are supernatural, words of wisdom, words of uh, uh, a prophecy, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, miracles, all of it. It's Bible. We believe it. Okay. But I want to just tell you again, like I've already said, we need discernment in our life. And just because someone says they're a prophet doesn't mean they are. Do you know how the Bible says how to judge a prophet, like a prophet, a real prophet, not just someone who's exhorting or giving a declarative word about God, but a prophet who is prophesying Here's how the Bible says, judge it. If what they say doesn't come to pass, they're not a prophet. We need to stop just believing people who say, I'm a prophet because they say they're a prophet. We need to start having more discernment in that and stop being led by our emotions and be led by the truth of the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there aren't people who are prophetic. And there aren't people who do function with the gifts of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge and prophecy and so on and so forth. We need to understand that happens, that works that way, but we've got to be careful not to get caught up in what some people who have captured that for their own means, and they, and they try to say they're manifesting that. And listen, it's not something we want to be a part of. It's not something we want to watch. It's not something we want to let lead us. So a counterfeit prophetess who led people to spiritual and sexual compromise. He corrected them for tolerating that and not dealing with it and saying, absolutely not. That's not happening here. We are not going to have that. So confronting it, dealing with it, and saying, move it along. And I can promise you as the shepherd of this house, as the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, if we find that people are using spiritual means to manipulate, control, and do things that they shouldn't be, leading people in the wrong direction, we will deal with it and confront it because I have a responsibility not only to you, but to God. And then he encourages them. He commends, he commends them, he corrects them, and then he encourages them in Thyatira, and he says, hold fast till I come. I just want to encourage you today. If you're struggling with something, if you're going through some hardships, if you're facing some problems, hold fast till he comes. He said, there's some of you. This is what's so interesting about the church of Thyatira. 
He talks about the great things they've done. Then he corrects those who have tolerated this. And then he said, but there's some of you who have not bowed their knee to this and have not allowed this and have not tolerated this. And you have kept the faith and you're moving forward. And he says, just hold fast to what you have till I come. Don't give up. Listen, I just, I believe, I want to say that to you today. I believe there's a turn that's happening spiritually in the world right now. I think there's a turn that's happening physically in the world right now. I think God is on the move and I think you should not give up right before victory is coming to your house. Listen, you might be right on the verge of that promise being fulfilled. You might be right on the verge of, 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 of that victory coming, that, that change you've been waiting on, that provision that you've needed so desperately, that healing that you've needed in your body, that peace instead of fear, whatever the case may be. You may have been waiting on that. Don't stop now. Come on. Hold on until I show up is what God is saying. Hold on till I get there. If you give up before I get there, it's going to be the saddest thing in the world. And I wonder oftentimes how many times we've been right on the verge of our answer and just thrown our heads in the air and said, I just can't wait anymore. I just don't believe it's going to happen. And we miss out on the greatest thing God had planned for us. Come on, hold on till he comes. The fifth church was Sardis. Revelation chapter three, verse one, it says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, let me clarify real quickly. Better translation is uh, the sevenfold spirit of God. In other words, the perfect spirit of God, the spirit that uh, he, he, this is the third person of the Trinity. It's not saying there's seven spirits. We're not polytheistic, and that's not what this means. It just means the complete, holy, powerful, anointed spirit of God. I know your deeds, he says. You have a reputation of being, no, come on. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. They, uh, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels, whoever has has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, I mean, he doesn't even commend, he doesn't even commend Sardis. I mean, he doesn't even come in with, hey, you're doing good. at He just goes straight to correction with them. And here's why. Because they were hypocrites. They were pretenders. And the, the problem that they had was a problem that sometimes we have. And we need to get it right because it's detrimental to our faith. It's detrimental to evangelizing others. It's detrimental to growing and maturing in God. It's detrimental for us making it all the way to the end. It's destroying people because they're finding themselves in such a malaise spiritually that they end up rejecting their faith and running from God. He corrected them, number one, for having the reputation of a life-giving church, but they were really dead. Their fire had gone out. So in this church, he's dealing with passion. You've lost your passion. You are not alive. You are dead. You are spiritually 
dead. There's no fire in you. There's no passion in you. Your light has gone out. But the problem is, instead of you acknowledging it and saying, I, I, I've lost my passion. I, I have come to a place where I, I cannot continue. I, I am just, I'm spiritually dead. I'm not moving forward. I've allowed other things to become more important. And But here's the deal. Instead of repenting of that and saying, God, forgive me and change me and renew me, we're just acting like we're not. It would as it would it's it spiritually if you could just watch go to a funeral and and the casket opens and the and, and and there's nobody in it and the dead man's walking around the room. That's what we're doing spiritually. We're we're dead, but we're pretending that we're alive. We don't want to admit that we've lost our edge. We don't want to admit that we're not seeking God like we used to. We don't want to admit that we're just going through the motions. We don't want to admit it. But the only way to get that fire back, the only way to get that passion for God back is to admit it and repent. And we've talked about what repentance means. It means to turn and move the opposite direction. That's why he said, save what can be saved. In other words, there are some things that aren't dead yet. Stoke a fire under them before you're totally lost. Their fire had gone out and they were pretending to have fire that they didn't have. You know, a pretend fire doesn't warm you. You know, how silly would it be if we were, me and our team were out camping and, and, we get, and we bought one of those little things that just has the cellophane or whatever and you put a light under it and then a little blower, a fan blower, and it looks like a fire. And if we took one of those out with us and it was a chilly night and we were all cold and we built rocks around it and then we put that little fan and we put that and we're just like, oh, isn't this a nice fire? We're not going to get very warm. A fire, that, a fire that is fake doesn't warm you. A fire that is fake doesn't burn anything. A fire that is fake doesn't consume things. A fire that is fake, you can put gold in it and try to purify the gold, but it's not going to purify it because it's not real. And, and, and sometimes spiritually, that's what we're doing. We're, we're pretending that we have fire. We're pretending that we're on fire for God. We're pretending that we have passion for him, but we really don't. It's important. And he called this church out for it. He, he, he called them out for not completing their God-given assignment. They were a living lie. They were pretending and performing. So many of us as Christians get caught in this trap sometimes that we think it's about our good works and we think it's about looking good and it's a thing about checking the boxes and we find ourselves performing, but we don't. there's no substance. It's all symbol. It looks like something, but it's not really anything. Oh, God, help us that this is not where we're at spiritually. Help us. And if we are today, I encourage you, just repent. Just say, God, I don't want that in my life. Please Please bring that real passion and real fire for you and for your kingdom back into my life. And I repent of anything that has stolen that fire from me, but I refuse to pretend that I have something I don't have. He, 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 he corrected them because they were not producing life. I love Summit Church because it's a life-giving church, and we want to breathe life onto other people. We want to be an encouragement. We want to be strengthening others and edifying each other and reaching out to the community and reaching out to people in our lives, breathing life and giving life, but you can't give what you don't have. And if we find ourselves in a place where we've lost life, then how are we going to give life? We can't pretend because it's not real. 
But he did commend them because he said, a few of you have kept yourselves free from the encumbrances of the world. You've not allowed the world to put your fire out. You've not allowed circumstances to put your fire out. You've not allowed distractions to put your fire out. You've not allowed temptations to put your fire out. But you have kept yourselves free from the encumbrances of the world. And he commended them for keeping their faith even though they were the minority. They were small and insignificant and considered weak. He encouraged them to take care of what remained and to watch for his return. So I'm just challenging you today. If that's you, if you're like Sardis and you're saying, man, I've let the fire go out. Find whatever place in you that's kept you locked in, that's kept you dead, that's kept you distracted, that's kept you in sin and just rebuke it and turn from it and turn your heart towards God and stop pretending that everything is okay. It's not okay. Listen to me. I feel like really in my heart right now by the spirit, I feel like there's someone on this online campus right now that needs to hear us. It's not okay. Acting like it's okay doesn't make it okay. God is saying to you, you need to decide and determine right now Are you going to throw away the pretend life and grab a hold of that passionate, loving fire of God in your heart and change the way and direction you're going? The last church is Philadelphia. Philadelphia, we read in Revelation 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come in the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Right there in verse 10, he's telling us, because you've remained faithful, I'm going to take you out of this earth before the tribulation. And the reason we know he's talking about the great tribulation is because he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon, he says. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who's victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus tells them that he will deliver them out of the great tribulation. And he commends them. He said, although you're small and although you have faced major persecution, you did not deny me. He's saying to them, like Jesus said, if you'll, if you'll stand up for me uh, before men, I'll stand up be- for you before God. If you'll deny me before men, I'll deny you before God. Jesus is saying to them, look, you stood. 
even in the face of persecution, even in the face of your smallness and insignificance and persecution, you did not deny my name. You stood by. And then he encouraged them, hold fast and don't let anyone take your crown. Hold fast to what you have. What do you have? What was he saying that they had? And what is, are we uh, in, in, in uh, possession of today that we need to hold fast? His word, his name, his promise to return, our relationship with him, our ministry to people and our commitment to God. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go through it. I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to cause you to struggle through all of that. I'm going to rescue you because you have been committed to me. He opened the door for them. And then the last church, Laodicea. And he said to Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful, poor and blind and naked. And you might say, isn't this just what he told the church in Sardis? He told them, you don't have fire for me? You've lost, no, this is not passion. This is not about passion at all. Well, isn't it saying that you're lukewarm? You, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. We have to understand what that meant. On one side of Laodicea, there was a community. On the other side of Laodicea, there was a community. One of those communities had hot springs. And people would go to those hot springs to be healed and to be restored in their body because they had salt and they were hot and they would just refresh you in that way or heal you in that way. And then on the other side, the community that was on the other side of Laodicea had fresh, cold water wells that were artesian and just continued to give cold water but Laodicea didn't have the benefit of either one of those things and they had to create kind of a, a plumbing system if you will that would pipe in water from those places and what you would end up with is a tepid lukewarm water that wasn't really useful it would do some functions but to refresh you no way to restore you no way and what God was saying to Laodicea is, you've lost your usefulness. He wasn't saying you've lost your passion. He was saying, I, I would rather you be a, someone who restores or someone who refreshes, but you've lost your purpose. You have no reason to live. You have no meaning about your life. You're not doing my will. Lukewarmness is nasty. It tastes bad. It's not good. And God said, if, if it doesn't change, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, I, he said, here's the problem. You've become so blessed and so prosperous that you've begun to trust in your blessings. You've been to trust in your prosperity. You remember there was a church before that they were the poor, rich church. He's saying to Laodicea, you're the rich, poor church. The church before had lost all their money because they had committed to God. They lost their possessions because people had cut them out and canceled them because they stood for Jesus and not for Caesar. 
But here's Laodicea, and they're so blessed that they're poor. They're rich in their own mind, but they're poor spiritually because they begin to trust in possessions. They begin to trust in things. They begin to put those things before God. I know that in all of these churches, we see what happened to them historically, but I I also believe and know that we can apply them apply that to our own lives because I'm telling you right now I've been in every one of these situations in my spiritual walk and I'm challenging you today I'm challenging myself today we can't trust in things we can't trust in money we can't trust in certain relationships we can't trust in governments we can't trust in humanity necessarily we can't trust in possessions And become so dependent on those that they become so important to us that we don't realize that we're blind and naked and helpless. We may think we're blessed physically. We don't realize we're impoverished spiritually. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's talking in spiritual terms now. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Here I am, God's saying. Here I am, Jesus is saying to the church. I, I stand at the door and I knock. And, and, and you hear me knocking out here. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they will eat with me. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And as we've gone through all of these churches and we think about these things, I wonder today if we could see spiritually, is Jesus standing at the door of our hearts and he's knocking and he's saying, I'm not going to force my way in. I'm not going to force you to stop being distracted. I'm not going to force you to stop trusting in possessions and money and governments and things. I'm not going to force you to change, but I'm going to stand at this door and I'm going to knock. And if you'll just do one simple thing, open the door. Just come and open the door and welcome me in. And I'll come in and I'll sit down and we can talk together and we can have relationship and we can eat together and, you know, eating together, breaking bread together. And that culture was, that was family. That was relationship. That was communal. It was connection. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not going to push this door in. I'm not going to bust it down. It's your choice. And I'm saying to myself and to every believer that's listening to me today, God has great things for us. He has all these things in every one of these churches. He said, he that overcomes, I'll give a crown of life. He that overcomes, I'll wear a white robe of righteousness. He that overcomes will rule over nations. He that overcomes will get to set at my right hand. Come on, look at all the great blessings God gives when we overcome. But we have to stand our faith. We have to make a decision that we'll repent and not think the way the world thinks and not give in to deception or or ideologies that are false we've got to stick by the word stand by the word live the word love the word and allow God to transform us by his word God is so good to us he loves us so much and he wants to use our life to do great things he encouraged them open the door just open the door 
Stop believing the world. Stop believing in things. Stop being distracted. And I know somebody's going to say, oh, Pastor David is preaching a doctrine of poverty, that everybody should be poor. I shouldn't even have to address that, but that's not what I'm saying. I, I believe God does bless us and wants to bless us, but I'll tell you who the most blessed people are. The people who are blessed spiritually first and that their physical blessings come out of a relationship with God because they're trusting Him, not things. Trusting Him, not themselves. Trusting Him to provide and to, to guide and to direct and to live through us. So I'm just challenging you, I'm challenging me, and I'm challenging every one of us. Open the door. And when you open that door, the one who is Lord over all creation, when he starts opening doors for you, nobody can shut them. When he starts closing doors in protection of you, no one can open them. He is awesome. And he wants to be close to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we ask you to speak to the depths of our heart and our soul and help us to realize your love for us, your care for us, and your concern for us. And help us to surrender and follow you. And for those who may not know you, have a relationship with you. And for those who do know you and have a relationship with you, we all at some level have you at the door of our hearts knocking and saying, to those who know you and are maturing you, saying, hey, let's go higher. Let's go further. Let's get to know each other better. And to those who don't know you, you're knocking on that door and you're saying, I'd love to have a relationship with you. I just pray that all of us will open the door and let you come in. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, or you've rejected your faith and you've walked away from it, you need to rededicate your life, you need to come back to Jesus like the prodigal son came back to his father. I just want you to know he hasn't quit knocking and he's standing at the door of your heart right now and he's knocking and he's saying, all you have to do is open. All you have to do is say, I'm willing for you to come in. All you have to do is say, welcome into my life and I lay my life at your feet. I love this new song we're doing where we say, lift up your hands and lay down your life. I just love that phrase. And I, I really believe that's what God's asking you to do right now because he wants to do great things in your life. He's coming. And we're celebrating the fact that he's coming and we want to be ready. So if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to pray about it. There's someone on uh, this uh, uh, broadcast this, this online campus of serve team, I mean, a pastor or a leader that is a team member that wants to meet with you, pray with you, connect with you. And so make sure that you make that decision, click on that link or whatever it is they have you do. Make sure you do it and pray this prayer with someone. But I'm just challenging you, open the door, let him in. Amen. God is so good. Thank you.